delighted to say I am joined with editor of Culture Wars magazine, E. Michael Jones. For any of you who don't know Mike, he uh, is a prolific public speaker. He is an author of several books, including Barn Metal and The Jewish Revolutionary Spirit. Uh, his uh, YouTube channel is E. Michael Jones, and his uh, he's got a new YouTube channel, which is uh, Culture Wars magazine uh, on YouTube as well. Um, so we are going to be talking tonight about, well, the coronavirus and the implica- the wider implications uh, of the coronavirus. Uh, Mike, are you with me? Yes, I am. Good to be here, Paul. Yeah, how you doing? I'm doing fine. Not coughing. Don't have a fever. We're in the middle of uh, lockdown in South Bend, Indiana, and nothing is happening. Nothing. Well, we've, had I... one, we've had one fatality in St. Joseph County so far, and that was an 82-year-old man who showed up at the hospital with pneumonia. And after he showed up in the hospital, he was uh, tested. He tested positive for coronavirus. It's the last thing he ever did. And then he died. And then this was listed as a fatality for coronavirus. Now, the, the, uh, if he hadn't been tested, it wouldn't be coronavirus. The only reason he was tested was because everybody's hysterical here because they're watching television and we're being whipped up into a panic. So that's the situation in South Bend, Indiana. Yeah, well, as I look outside my street, I live in a, a pretty busy uh, southwest London suburb. Uh, I live right on the high street, and it is like a ghost town here. Occasionally, there there's the odd car goes past, but uh, pretty much everyone's terrified um, over here. And I mean, to me, this has to be one of the biggest overhyped, over hysterical, over hysterical media driven, just hype jobs, probably to distract from the most equally overhyped overinflated debt bubble in history with the former being used as a scapegoat for the latter as well as of course a power grab to bring in a police state which they've done i mean we're under house arrest here let's call it what it is yeah i think you're right and it's across the world i i corresponded with one of my friends in india uh today uh it's even worse in india everything is completely locked down there's food shortages and and what is worse the entire uh, untouchable population, the Dalits, are now without any possibility of earning a living. Okay, the economy has shut down. They live from day to day. They're day laborers. They get paid at the end of the day, and that's how they, they uh, nourish their families. They have no way of earning a living. Now they are marching across India, huge hordes of untouchables trying to get back to their native place, how are they going to make it across India when they can't earn any money and they don't have any food? Now, what is the cause of this? In India, 27 people have died of coronavirus. That's the statistic. Can you calculate at 27 what percentage that is of 1.2 billion? I don't have enough zeros in my mind to calculate that. Okay, and that is now being used to shut down those 27 deaths are being used to shut down the economy of the entire subcontinent. Now, I've been, I've been to Calcutta. Every day they collect more bodies off the streets of Calcutta than have died from the coronavirus. That's every day of the week they pick up bodies and, and they dump them in the Ganges. So this is clearly, uh, it's been an answer to a virgin's prayer on the part of politicians who were at the end of their rope uh, all across the world. Modi, as an example, he was in trouble. Uh, the best example is Macron in France, who had over a year of yellow vest demonstrations, couldn't get them off the streets. Well, now they're all off the streets and the French have to download permission slips so that they can go out and buy food. It's the same thing across the world, one one instance after another. Yeah, it's absolutely crazy. I mean, all perspective has been lost. And 
I mean, I think what pricked my, what, what changed my mind about it when I, when I was obviously suspicious when I, when the media were driving it so heavily, but I looked at some stats. According to the, the World Health Organization, half a million people die on average every day from flu, uh, every year from flu globally. In the UK alone, we had 28,330 deaths from flu in 2014 to 2015. Okay, so I mean, these are these stats are just really put this in perspective. I mean, in the U.S., I think you've got about 2,000 deaths there in the U.S. out of a population of 330 million. I could go on. You know, there's 9.1 million people die every year globally from starvation. Um, we have, I think, 30,000 deaths from the coronavirus, and they are basically committing suicide uh, on our economies. And you know, they're bringing in the police state. And I mean, it, obviously, for anybody with any sense, which there doesn't seem to be too many of us around, this is there's a lot more going on than some terrifying virus that is going to wipe us all out, which is what they want us to believe, basically. Yeah, you have to be able to distinguish between the virus and the social engineering that this virus is is enabling. They're, yeah. they're two different things. Uh, now, the, the virus itself, there are various explanations. The official explanation is pretty much shit happened. It just happened. That's all. Well, if it just happened, then it's probably one of these yearly things that happens every year. And uh, what's the big deal? Uh, the other explanation uh, is that it was a bioweapon that got out of control. I think there's a plausible case that can be made for that. I made it in my article, which is available on culturewars.com. The Chinese and uh, were collaborating with bioweapons labs here, uh, Harvard uh, in the United States uh, and Winnipeg in Canada. And they've been to, uh, a professor of chemistry was arrested at Harvard for uh, basically taking $50,000 a month in under-the-table payments from the Chinese government to allow the smuggling of biomaterials. They didn't specify the indictment that got handed down in, in Boston did not specify what those materials were, but one of this guy's Chinese students was arrested getting on a plane at Logan Airport with vials of something or other in his socks, and they were going to Wuhan, and Wuhan is where this thing broke out. So if it's a bioweapon, it was either released uh, on purpose, and I think the government, the Chinese government has stated that. Uh, they think it was a bioweapons attack on them. The Iranian government stated that as well. They said it was a bioweapons attack on them. Or it was released accidentally. And if the man is bringing it home in a suitcase and his socks, there's a good chance it could have gotten released accidentally. But even if that's what it was, it is still, in some sense, a, a, a has a nature, is a natural substance. The, the lady who was doing the engineering at uh, Wuhan was being paid by the U.S. government to basically splice bat DNA onto the coronavirus to make it more toxic as a weapon. Okay, even if that's the case, it is still a virus. Uh, and it's going to follow the course that viruses follow. That's what's going to be. It's not a mosquito, you know, which is how you get malaria. It's not a snail of the kind you find in Lake Victoria, which is how you get bilharzia. It, it's it's a virus. It follows, floats in the air, and so on and so forth. So it's going to. There are going to be certain ways you can get it, and certain ways you cannot get it. And of course, since it floats in the air, those with respiratory problems are the most likely to, to, to get it and to suffer from it and to die from it. Now, this this brings up, I mean, we, we are sitting, so you live in the UK, okay? That's supposed to be one entity, and I live in the United States, and that's supposed to be one entity, but that's meaningless when it comes to a disease like this because the situation in South Bend is completely different than the situation in New York City which is where it seems that most people are dying, okay? That's the, the center now. Most cases are New York City. We've heard about New Orleans and California, but it's pretty much New York City right now. And everybody's being scared to death because, well, that's the capital of the country. That's where the oligarchs live. 
uh, a lot of them. That's where the major news media have their headquarters and so on and so forth. So they're taking it real seriously. But I just got off uh, today again with another correspondent guy who writes for us from New York. And I asked him why, why so many deaths in New York? And he had a one word answer. It's not even one word. The answer is 9-11. What's 9-11 got to do with the coronavirus? Well, he was there when it happened. And what happened is when that building went down, you had this huge cloud of toxic material that went up into the air. Uh, you can see it on you can see it on uh, films or films of it, pictures of it. Uh, one of the reasons that uh, the World Trade Towers were a white elephant uh, was the fact that the girders were covered with asbestos and they had to remove the asbestos and nobody in the world had enough money to re remove the asbestos, okay? Now that asbestos went up in the air, that will cause lung cancer if you breathe it in, uh, along with all sorts of toxic metals and that cloud went up and as we say, what goes up must come down and that cloud came down and you can see people walking around with dust on their face and if their faces are covered with dust you know pretty darn well that their lungs are full of it too and so there was a huge amount of illness that followed the 9-11 largely because the authorities told the people it was safe to go back to work two days later. It was not safe to go into Manhattan two days later. The whole place was covered with toxic dust. But they wanted to make give the impression that the problem was over, the problem was taken care of, let's get back to normal business. And so they led them people into a scenario where they, a huge number of people contracted pulmonary disease of one sort or another. Uh, a lot of these people have died in the 20 years since that time, and a lot of them are still suffering. And so what you have is a population that is uh, compromised with a pre-existing condition, probably the worst, one of the worst ecological catastrophes of the 21st century. I don't think this is any exaggeration, is that cloud of toxic dust that went down on Manhattan and northern New Jersey after the 9-11 attack. And now we're seeing one of the consequences of that with the coronavirus. These people are all susceptible, much more susceptible than anybody anywhere else in the world, I would say. But if you look at the situation in the world, then you find, well, what do, let's say, northern Italy and China have in common? Well, they have the same thing in common on a lesser scale. In other words, massive air pollution. Uh, in northern Italy, uh, compounded with an aged population. Uh, in China, you've got an aged population as well. Massive air pollution. Uh, Beijing, uh, they had, they, didn't they call off the Olympics for a while? I mean, they, they had, they, the bike race had to be canceled because the, the pollution was so bad in Beijing. Okay, so now it, it, once you get this, uh, factor this in, it, it starts to make sense uh, and we're we're being distracted from the problem here because there are certain people who are manipulating for their benefit. Now, who are these people? The main group of people are the medical crowd. OK, Big Pharma, uh, the World Health Organization, the CDC. And, and you have people like Fauci, Anthony mm. Fauci. I remember Anthony Fauci when he when he was killing homosexuals. Uh, with the so-called AIDS epidemic. I don't know whether we, many people remember that, but this started off as a uh, homosexual disease. Everybody knew that you, the homosexuals got it because of the way they lived and their sexual habits that were bad for your health. And then in 1984, the government intervenes and Margaret Heckler stands up and says, no, no, it's a virus. Does that sound familiar? Okay, so it's a virus, so that means everybody's at risk. Well, no, sorry, that's not the case. We're not at risk because we're not homosexuals. No, it's a virus. Okay, well, if it's a virus, then we have to get a cure. And so there is all of this pressure, including, tragically, the homosexuals. The homosexuals are having demonstrations. They're, they're, they're lying on the floor of health and human services, demanding some type of pill that will save them 
from their bad habits, from the health consequences of their bad habits. And so guess what? The government, I, you know, what, what do we say? Be careful for what you pray for. Well, this is true of homosexuals. Be careful what you pray for because the government did come up with a cure thanks to ladies like Matilda Krim. And the cure was AZT, which is one of the most toxic substance on the face of this earth. It was, it was chemotherapy. It was a chemotherapy drug that was so toxic it never got deployed as a chemotherapy drug. And they started giving this to homosexuals and then the homosexuals started dying for real in earnest at this point. And the difference between the homosexuals who survived and the ones who died is basically the ones who survived stopped taking AZT. So after Magic Johnson took, start, took tested positive, started taking the cure, he felt so bad, he says, I'm not taking this anymore. And he got better, and he's alive today. Mm. And Arthur Ashe didn't, and he's dead because he was afraid to stop taking the pill that was killing him. So I think all this needs to be put in, in perspective here. What is Fauci doing? Why is he in charge of anything? This man has failed upward for his entire life, but as a representative of Big Pharma, I guess he has to have this position. And Big Pharma is now waiting to make a killing because some heroic company figure is going to come up and say, I have the cure and we're all supposed to rush out and, and, and say the Messiah is here, the cure is here, and who knows what it's going to be. It could be another AZT for all we know. Mm. It's very concerning. I mean, we, it, it, the, the technocracy is in gone into overdrive. Um, you know, a woman who I never heard of three weeks ago, this deputy chief medical officer, what, can you, Jenny Harris, literally just telling us, like she owned the whole country, telling us so matter-of-factly, we must not then suddenly revert to our normal way of living. That will be quite dangerous. If we if we stop, then all of our efforts will be wasted. She says, over, over time, probably over the next six months, we will have a three-week review, and then we'll see where we're going, but we need to keep a lid on that, and gradually we will be able to hopefully, hopefully, adjust some of the social distancing measures and gradually get us all back to normal. Three weeks for the review, two or three months to see whether we've really squashed it, but about three to six months ideally and lots of uncertainty in that. But then to see at which point we can actually get back to normal. I mean, this is this woman who I'd literally never heard of three, three weeks ago telling the country what on her, you know, what we're going to be doing and how it's all going to roll out. I mean, talk about... There's nothing more permanent than a temporary government program because when this was all brought in, it was hurried in through fear and hysteria. We give all these powers over here to the government and 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 the, the police force, etc., and they've got them for two years, and nobody was really thinking. They were just basically operating under these so-called experts and what they anticipated was going to happen, not what is going to happen, what we think it might happen, right. and then you know, right. The future. No one knows the future. And they're not even good at extrapolating based on the data that they have. You know, right. so but this this is where the real question is going to come down. What it's going to come down to. All right. I would say the entire world is OK with two weeks. OK, we can put up with it for two weeks. And I think Trump is now trying to get out ahead of this. He's smart enough to understand that you can't hand the government over to Fauci. You can't hand the government over to people like this because they all do whatever gives them maximal power over everyone else. Mm. There's nothing too much for these people. And, and so if we survive the disease, we're all going to be starving to death after six months because they will have killed the economy. Exactly. By the, by the time the, the, the economic fallout, of the, uh, even a quarter of the economic fallout of this is felt, people will be wishing they had died from coronavirus. Yeah, rather that, that than starving to death on the street. And I am not exaggerating when I say starving to death on the street because yeah. I'm talking about India, yeah. uh, where people are close to starving to the death on the street under normal circumstances. Yeah. That, that, that class of untouchables you know, that gets treated so abominably in India, they are always on the verge of death. And largely because of things like starvation, exposure, all these other types of things that are only going to get worse 
because of these draconian measures taken by politicians who never felt who a politician can never do too much. He's always got to be at the outer limits of doing everything to ruin your life. Yeah. You know, making you stay because that's what he's got to do. If he doesn't, if, if, have you ever heard of a politician saying, well, maybe we shouldn't do this? No, no. He'd be shouted down, vote him out of office. Mm. That, that, that's 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 the that's the situation we're in. And and, and who's going to who's going to. So so the question is going to come down to timing. Who's who what what scientist with what crystal ball is going to tell us the right time to do this, to, to lift this uh, so that nobody so that you don't wreck the economy? Well, wait a minute. Maybe that's the plan. And the reason I say this is because another guy who has failed upward, who should be in jail, is Jeffrey Sachs. Uh, for those who don't know who he is, he was uh, at Harvard, head of the Harvard Development Corporation in the 1990s, a great proponent of what Naomi Klein calls shock therapy. He was Mr. Shock Therapy for Bolivia, brought the communists to power there after wrecking the economy. Mr. Shock Therapy for Chile, uh, brought a, 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 a Pinochet into power there. Mr. Shock Therapy for Poland, and most importantly, Mr. Shock Therapy for Russia. He was in the uh, in the uh, Boris Yeltsin's office, and basically when when they pulled the plug on the Soviet Union, he was the guy telling uh, Boris to do that. Now, what what did he do there? Well, he was private. Oh, privatization. What does that mean? That means that you handed the entire Russian economy over to seven rich Jews. That's what you did. And then they cashed a lot of it out and sent the money back to the Jews who run Wall Street. And they made a killing. And he did this while he was a professor at Harvard University, uh, where they signed covenants with the State Department that they would not profit personally from anything that they were doing in Russia. And guess what? They, they Harvard had to pay the largest fine in the history of that 300 and some year old university because they were shamelessly looting the Russian economy. $26 million. Larry Summers, another Jew who has failed upward for his entire life, who happened to be president of Harvard at that point, uh, presided over the biggest fine, uh, the biggest malfeasance in the history of, of Harvard University. And in order to cover up that fact, they made up some cockamamie story about Larry Summers giving a talk saying girls couldn't do math as well as boys. And they used that as the cover to get Larry Summers out of the president's office at Harvard. Now, Jeffrey Sachs is now going to tell us how to solve the coronavirus problem. Thank you, Jeffrey. And you know what his solution is? Months and months. Don't even talk about changing anything until July. Directing this directly at Donald Trump. Now, I maybe I'm cynical. OK, maybe having just told you that story, maybe I have reason to suspect ulterior motives on the part of Jeffrey Sachs. Mm. Uh, certainly his performance in Russia leads, uh, uh, justifies my suspicion. But I'm telling you what I think is going on here is that Jeffrey Sachs wants to wreck the economy. He's an expert at wrecking economies. He did it to Bolivia, to Poland, to Russia. Of course, he's an expert at it. And now he wants to wreck the American economy. Uh, and, and then, first of all, the main benefit of that will be uh, Trump not getting elected in the fall. And then he will get in, and then it's going to be one more instance of disaster capitalism where they're going to start out uh, from ground zero after they set off their own economic uh, nuclear bomb wrecking the economy. And now we're going to have Jeffrey Sachs in charge of rebuilding the economy. Thanks, but no thanks. That's well, the oligarchic strategy. Bill Gates has said the same thing. They want Trump to hold this thing off, keep this thing going till the fall, wreck the economy, make sure this destroys your election re-election chances, and then let us back in the halls of power. Yeah, and the, the Fed are now talking about 
QE infinity. I mean, after 2008, they just kept inflating this bubble and kept inflating it. And it's the biggest bubble in human history. And when this thing, it, it, if the dominoes fall uh, the way this, the way I think they, they should do, I mean, the unemployment is just going to go through the roof. Social cohesion could ge- could actually genuinely break down. There could be, as you said, there could be, and I mean, we, we, India, there's going to be a lot of starving there, but we're, we could have people in the West here, if this goes the way I think it could go, who are, but just don't have any money to buy food or the money that they have won't be worth anything. I mean, it could be an absolute disaster. There was a, there's a guy, Nouriel Rabini. I don't know where you know him. He's uh, he's an economist. And he said, this is a live and real time national wealth transfer and socialist restructuring power grab without consent or representation or, or one revolt or one shot being fired. That's right. Um, it's so disaster with, capitalism. That's yeah, what it is. Yeah. Don't let a crisis go to waste. Yeah, exactly. And this, that. this this is this is how they're doing it. Yeah, I mean, I I still haven't really processed it all. I mean, I, I mean, we, we've the shows we've done and the shows lots of people you know like us have done over over the years. We talk about this type of scenario, and most people just think we're scaremongering, uh, you know, conspiracy theorists and stuff like that. But I mean, the Federal Reserve. Let's let's face it, a bunch of Talmudic thieves, and the the same people run the media, and you've you've talked about this sort of stuff in your book. I mean, would you call this a, a another Jewish revolutionary movement? Yeah. Well, well, look, let's uh, Mr. M- uh, Mnuchin, who's our Secretary Treasury, is of that persuasion. Mm. Uh, he came to us from Goldman Sachs, uh, which is the premier Jewish user band in in this country on wall street and he's going to solve our problem for us so don't worry guys i'm going to send you a check for a thousand dollars wow everybody's going to get a check for a thousand of course my friends are going to get four trillion dollars but (laughs) yeah let's not let's not talk about that now i'm i'm on your side i'm i'm a man of the people mr mnuchin I'm a man of the people, and we're going to take care of the people of the United States. I'm going to send you $1,000. Man, that's a lot of money, $1,000. Yeah. Well, let's, let's look at this realistically. What The biggest problem, the biggest problem facing this country right now is debt. There's no question about it. And one of the groups that is worst hit by debt are 20-year-olds who have student loan debt. Now, you got $50,000 in debt. What are you going to do with $1,000? Buy some marijuana? <laughs> Probably. Buy, buy a premium uh, porn subscription? Uh, uh, what are you going to do with it? A lot of beer. I mean, this, this is ridiculous. So if you, want, if you want to do something serious about the economy, Mr. Mnookin, I have a suggestion. Forgive student loan debt. That will be, that will inject one trillion dollars into the economy like that overnight, so that those poor kids uh, will no longer have to pay off their student loan. They're living in their mother's basement. Whatever money they have goes to pornography and paying off their debt, and this will break that cycle. And suddenly they will have a whole new lease on life. That's what should happen. There is no reason why these people should have to pay off this debt. Okay, you're saying, oh, they got into it, they signed on. They signed on because under under false pretenses, because they were lied to by these for-profit universities what were nothing but diploma mills based on debt. Yeah. And 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 they've won lawsuits against them. These colleges like Kaplan College or you name them, whatever, you have for-profit uh, colleges sign you up, you go into debt, and then they give you a worthless degree if you're lucky enough to graduate. And that they've had test, people testify, employers testify uh, that if they saw a degree by X university, for-profit university, they would never hire them. They wouldn't, they wouldn't think of hiring that person. Mm-hmm. So it's a negative. You're better off if you had no degree because this is a negative when you're, when you're looking for a job. Yeah, exactly. Okay, now, those people... now. We have debt forgiveness every day of the week here. 
is called bankruptcy. Yeah. But it's only for the rich. And one of the rich men who made use of it is Donald Trump. Donald Trump declared bankruptcy uh, three times in his life. The difference between Donald Trump and uh, these poor students is that Donald Trump was too big to fail. Yeah. He was the classic instance of that. He, uh, if, you, if you owe the bank $10,000 and you can't pay it, you're in trouble. If you owe the bank $10 million and you can't pay it, the bank's in trouble. And that's precisely what, what, uh, what Donald Trump was. So it's, a, it's an injustice to deny these students the right that every other person, especially the rich in this country has, namely the right to default on their loans by declaring bankruptcy. Yeah. They should have this right. Now, it was deprived. These students were deprived of it because of a stroke of the pen when the Congress uh, basically made the Student Loan Act. You cannot declare you cannot de declare bankruptcy you could not get out of student loans this is unfair so if they made that condition with a stroke of the pen they should remove it with the stroke of a pen and that's something that will have a real impact on the economy and on, on top of that the people uh, who deserve to be stiffed will get stiffed the burden will be shifted onto the creditor and it's about time after 40 years of unbridled usury in the United States, it's about time that the creditor took a hit here. It's about time that the creditor started to bear his fair share of the burden. It is. Well, yeah, it is about time to put it mildly, but will it, will it happen? I, I won't hold my breath. Um, all right. What? A couple of questions. What should be the church's response in all of this? And where do you think God is in all of this? What do you think is happening? I mean, I've got my own thoughts. You know, I'm interested in hearing what you think is, is, is occurring from, from God's perspective here. Uh, first of all, the, the church had made arrangements. I'm talking about the Diocese of Fort Wayne, South Bend. Uh, the bishop had said... Uh, made certain changes in the liturgy okay first of all no you can't receive communion from the cup anymore okay uh you should not receive it on the tongue take the communion on your hand and maintain some type of distance and no kiss of peace okay these were all reasonable things that would have allowed for some type of measure of protection and it would also have allowed for the mass to continue to be celebrated as I said, the Bishop of Fort Wayne took those measures, everything seemed fine, and then one week later he reneges on and, and goes with the maximal banning of everything, which I think was a mistake. Okay, first of all, you've got a church-state issue here. Who has the right to determine when mass will be celebrated? Well, what you've done here is a fact the church has de facto handed this right over to the state, which they have no right to do. And and the second question is, well, who decides when it's going to be over? Who, yeah, well, exactly. When is that going to happen? And and secondly, why is the this the diocese of Fort Wayne have to wait until the diocese of New York acts? As I said before, I know this comes as a shock to people in England. But New York and South Bend are two completely different places. This is like the, the English woman who was telling the other English woman, my, my son teaches at a university in Iowa. And the other English woman said, I thought that was pronounced Ohio. <laughs> it's well, different. Of course okay? it's different. Yeah. And, and the church has different dioceses to, to take those differences into account. And this should be... Uh, uh, the way it gets decided. The local bishop has the authority and he should exercise the authority. That's what should happen now. Yeah, well, it's the same over here. We've got, you know, no one's congregating anymore. And uh, it's just, you know, I'm asking the same question. How long are they going to put up with it? I mean, it, to me, it's important, whether it's, you know, on a Sunday or whatever day it is, it is important for the health of the church that Christians congregate. Absolutely. You can't um, you can't go to mass on TV. No, exactly. That's a, that's a picture of a mass. It's not the mass. Mm. 
It's like saying, you know, are you hungry? Well, I've got a really great video of a meal. And if you watch this video of the meal, you won't be hungry anymore. It yeah, doesn't work that way. No, it doesn't. Um, I mean, I think I think to some extent they feel caught between a rock and a hard place because if they if they rebel against the state on this, the finger is going to be pointed at them as those, you know, evil, irresponsible Christians who do what they want, regardless of spreading a, a killer disease. But I think the time is going to have to come when the church, whether it's the Protestant church or the Catholic church, is going to have to uh, have the testicular fortitude to stick its head above the parapet and realize that we have another king, one Jesus. And we're, that, that day where we state that might be coming coming to a town near you. That's right. And there's no recognition uh, of the world uh, that is being created for us. No. Now, the, the problem with the bishops is they accept at face value everything that the government says. And so, oh, it's medical. But wait, let's take a step back and look at the world that these people have created for us. Okay, yeah. so uh, you have uh, access to pornography, but you can't go to a religious service. You have uh, abortion clinics open. They're an essential service, but church is not an essential service. Well, who made up these rules? Yeah. Who made up these rules? And they don't, I don't agree with those rules. Why are we, why is this plan being put in place? And I go into, in the article, I go into all kinds of examples of what we're talking about here. Like Ramallah, I've talked about that many times, but basically what we have is Ramallah on a universal basis now. Ramallah, I'm talking about when the Israeli forces went in there, uh, they, uh, on the West Bank, they shut down everything. The people have to stay in their homes. That's what's happening. And then they take over the TV stations and start broadcasting pornography. So you're faced with a choice. If you're a Palestinian, you go outside and you're shot by an Israeli sniper or you stay inside and turn on the TV for news. And all you can do is watch pornography. Now, it's not exactly the same situation, but it's similar. Yeah, it's similar. We're all being locked down in our houses. We're not forced to watch pornography, but the porn people are taking advantage of it. Pornhub just offered free subscriptions to Italy. And what happens if they decide to uh, turn off the Internet on a Sunday afternoon and you can't broadcast your service uh, well, live? Everyone will go outside. That As soon as the Internet goes off, everyone goes outside. So they're not going to do that. It's not going to happen. Because that then we'll have people on the streets. I guarantee you. There are no snipers on the roofs here. Uh, it's not Ramallah in that sense. And so people will be out on the streets saying, what the hell happened? So it's in their interest to keep the Internet going, which is also, let's face it, in our interest, too, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, of course. I mean, we're talking. Yeah. And, and the other thing here is, guess what nobody's talking about anymore? Anti-Semitism. Hey, what happened to anti-Semitism? They, they killed uh, the Jews' propaganda barrage. Uh, the April issue of Culture Wars has a review of that atrocious series uh, called Hunters. Uh, oh, yeah, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. You would not believe what was going on. Read the article in the April issue of Culture Wars. Uh, uh, and it, it, this wasn't the only, this is Nazi hunters. You know, uh, basically, if they don't like you, uh, if some Jew doesn't like you and thinks you uh, have uh, some connection with the Nazis uh, in America in 1977, he's got a right to kill you. Uh, wait a minute. This is barbarism. <laughs> don't don't we have a right to a trial? No, 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 no. Not <laughs> if a Jew thinks you're behind you suspicious. Same thing is true. Now we've got another one coming out called The Plot Against America. Another paranoid Jewish fantasy based on a Philip Roth novel. Well, they're dead. They're dead in the water. As a matter of fact, Hunters was so bad that the Spielberg Foundation told uh, Amazon Prime, don't do another one. It's so bad. It's making Jews look bad. So that's over. That's over. The coronavirus killed uh, Nazi porn, revenge porn flicks uh, for, for, the, for the time being, at least, anyway. All right. All right. So Revelation 2.7 says, he who has an ear to, the, uh, to hear, let him hear what the church or the spirit says to the churches. What do you think the spirit is saying to the churches with all this? Um, one can't help but feel that there is some chastening going on both to the nations and to the church because we're all, part, we're all you know, getting the same 
the same thing here. I mean, it's not like the church has somehow been separated from the lockdown. No, no, we're all punished. We're all going to be punished in one way or another. We're punished for the lockdown. Uh, it's not much compared to the fact that people are going to die. The, in many ways, the most vulnerable people, I've already explained why, yeah. the people whose health is already compromised, they'll be the most likely to die. Uh, and the, the nation, it, it, nation gets the nation gets punished. Yeah. Uh, this is what we see in the Old Testament. I began the article by talking about Samuel, mm. who was a wicked man in some sense, even though he begged God for forgiveness. He did wicked things. Uh, and then finally, he did something really wicked in God's eyes, called for a sense, census. And God said that punishment is inevitable. And so God gave him a choice. You can have a famine for three years. You can have your enemies pursue you for three months, or you can have a fa uh, pestilence for three days. And Samuel, you know, ah, it's a tough choice, but he chooses pestilence because it comes from God's hand. Well, let's face it. Everything comes from God's hand uh, in one way or another. Not that God can do evil, God will not send a pestilence, but he will allow a pestilence to happen because sometimes it's necessary. Why is it necessary? Well, sometimes uh, human society gets so wicked and the rich and the powerful become so uh, entrenched in their wickedness that nothing but some type of catastrophe will pry their hands from the levers of power. I mean, what, what is our culture like? It's like a maniac at the steering wheel. We've got these oligarchic maniacs at the steering wheel, and they're driving the car toward a cliff. And, and this is some type of uh, uh, warning. And in, 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 in a sense, I think we can already see that some good has been brought out of it, because I think what's dead now is globalism. Yeah, it's been badly affected. It's, it seems that way anyway. I think that's that's one of the main things. There's never been a time when God is not in charge of human history. Never. And the fact of the matter is that most people can't see that. Well, why can't they see it? Well, because most people lack charity. Their, their, their minds are blinded by lust and greed. Materialism. And materialism and consumerism and, and entertainment. And, and they're being entertained to death and they're watching pornography and so on. Well, all of this blinds you. And, and, and so this is the way God opens your eyes, helps you to open your eyes because he brings a catastrophe into your life. And at that point, you say, I guess I'm I guess I better take another look. So, I mean, I mean, maybe maybe I'm too close to this, but uh, guess what? Uh, Logos Rising is coming out the day after tomorrow. And Logos is the answer to what we're talking about here, because Logos is the plan of human history. And the fact of the matter is that everybody lost sight of it over the past 50 years for one reason or another. Sexual liberation for the masses uh, usury and and, uh, and th greed and theft for the elites, but pretty much you've got a culture that was heading off the cliff and you couldn't pry the, the driver's hands from the steering wheel. Well, now you've got a chance to do that. And But the other point is, it's never there's never been a time when God wasn't in charge in history, even if you can't see it, but you need the eyes to see it. And, the and I'm saying, hear. this is what, this is, this book can give you help you see, help you see what's really going on. So <clears throat> Hegel had this quote, and I put it at the end, at the beginning of the article. Die Eule, die Eule der Minerva fliegt nur bei Dämmerung. That's not the exact quote, but it's basically, the owl of Minerva only flies in twilight. What's he talking about? The owl of Minerva, that's wisdom. When does wisdom arrive? Wisdom arrives in twilight. Twilight of what? Well, twilight of the empire. Well, that's what he's talking about. The empire, it's only, it's only when the glare, when you're, when you're not just overwhelmed by the power of the American empire, you're at a football game, you're at the Super Bowl. 
I mean, it doesn't get any better than this. You got some cute chick beside you. You're cheering on your favorite team. This is the power of the empire. Well, guess what? There's no NBA championship this year. There's no NCAA <laughs> championship this year. There's no sports, period. The Premier it's League's over. been can- canceled. The Formula One's been canceled. All the boxing, all the entertainment has been stopped. And you mentioned wisdom as well. Our culture, and this is something I feel very strongly about. I don't hear it being called out enough by the church, but I think it's so prevalent and so ubiquitous. We are full of Eastern mystery religions and Eastern Eastern philosophies, which have their roots in the occult. It, particularly, I think it appeals to, to women, including women in the church. It's, it's witchcraft. But we've got all these philosophies and these profound sounding quotes that we get from the Buddha and, and other Eastern mystery type religions. And I think God is, may well be sick of that. He, he, he complains to ancient Israel in the book of Isaiah about it because those gods are not going to save them. They don't have any wisdom. Well, let's bring it closer to home. What about all those druids in places like England and Ireland? Now? Yeah, exactly. What about what about the Beltane celebration in Edinburgh, someplace in Scotland? It's yeah. it's on YouTube. It's on YouTube. You can Google it, and you can see all these chicks running around naked, painted red or blue or something like that. Hysterical, it's, yeah. Is Beltane going to save you now, honey? Mm. Say a prayer. Say a prayer to Beltane, yeah. okay? Whoever he is, that's probably not the name of the god. That's the name of the celebration. But see, you know what I'm talking about. Or, say a god to whoever it is. Thor. Oh, Pray to Thor that you don't get the coronavirus. Yeah, and, and that he'll allow, he'll release you from your home and, and free you from the police state. Odin, neo paganism. Yeah, we've got neo paganism. It was, sadly, this is a phenomenon in Ireland as well. And we've, and as I say, we've got all these Eastern mystery religions, and they they sound they sound so appealing and so profound. But I mean, they're just they I mean, it's I don't know. The the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. As I say, those gods are not going to save you from what's what's coming down the tracks. You know? No, they're not. They're not. We know that. Yeah. And but but I'm I'm saying we're trying to see God's hand in this. Hegel called it the cunning of reason, where you bring about the exact opposite of what you intended. And I think the oligarchs have managed that. They brought about the exact the end of globalism. That was yeah. their plan for everyone. And now everybody's grateful. Even Germany, even Angela Merkel has closed the borders. Yeah. Suddenly they recognize the importance of the borders. Suddenly they, they, they realize oh, we, we have borders for a reason. <laughs> We're even talking about the border to Michigan now. Yeah, I mean, exactly. When did anybody ever take the border between Indiana and Michigan seriously? But now people are talking about that. They're talking about apparently they're checking license plates uh, and they're not letting people with New York license plates into Pennsylvania or New Jersey or Rhode Island or Connecticut. And you're seeing the complete farce and reality of these, you know, the solidarity of the European Union because they're not helping Italy because they say we need to look after our own country. We've got our own problems. So, well, look so, at the difference. Well, look at the difference between Italy and Germany. Yeah, exactly. If borders are meaningless, why is the situation so bad in Italy and not so bad in Germany? Is it because you have two different cultures? Yeah. Is that it? Do, do we have a different attitude toward cleanliness, let's say, uh, in Germany than we do in Italy? I mean, there was uh, Heinrich Pesch would talk about uh, the Reinheitsgebot for uh, German beer. And he said, you couldn't charge. It would be unjust to charge the same price for Italian beer that you charge for German beer because Italian beer is not worth the money. Well, I don't I don't mean any disrespect to the Italians here, but I'm saying you have two completely different cultures. Yeah. And and it's mirrored now in the fatality statistics. So suddenly we realize, I, hey, there is a border there. There's a natural border. There's a cultural border. And and uh, it's it suddenly became important. Yeah. And by the way, there's a, a there's a grand total of 110 deaths in Sweden. They haven't done a lockdown there. Uh, they have 72 deaths in Denmark. And a grand total of five in Finland. 
what is five? That's about 50% of the population of Finland, isn't it? <laughs> so five, five deaths in Finland, uh, as I say, 72 in Denmark. I mean, uh, it, all perspective has been lost on all of this. Um, we'll, we'll wrap it up, Mike. Do you want to just give out your, your details of everything? You're, obviously, your book's coming out. When is, it your, when is Logos Rising coming out? Day after tomorrow. Order a copy. Go to the Culture Wars website. We've we've almost sold out the first printing, so right. we're we're going to go first to the list of people who have signed up, and then if there's anything left over, then you know we'll we'll go to them. But you can get you can be sure we have still a few slots left on the sign up list. So go to culturewars.com and sign up for a copy of Logos Rising. Okay, I'll do that. Um, and we'll, we're going to be short. We start shipping on April second. Okay, I'll, I'll I'll sign up for that because I'll, I'll get it. I, I very kindly have, have a copy of the Jewish Revolutionary Spirit up there as well, so I'll uh, I'll stick it beside that. All right, uh, and then of course Culture Wars Culture Wars is your your website, Culture Wars magazine. If you go to your YouTube channel, if you go over to the right, um, people should know if they go to the E Michael Jones YouTube channel. Uh, you've also got Culture Wars, uh, a new a new channel called Culture Wars, and, and that's on your E. Michael Jones site. If you if you click, if you just sort of go over to the right hand side, you'll see Culture Wars. It's got four thousand subscribers at the minute, which isn't bad because you've only got one video on there. Um, and then you've got your bit shoot as well. Is that Culture Wars or is that E. Michael Jones? What is that? Is that Culture Wars or E. Michael Jones? I'm not sure. I think it's Culture Wars. Okay, it'll be one of the two anyway. Okay, Mike, thank you very much for, com uh, for coming on. It's uh, My pleasure, Paul. It, it's great to speak to you as always. And uh, stay safe and uh, talk to you soon. Take care. God okay. bless. Okay, bye-bye.